All right. Um, so we are in week three of Advent. Like I said, this is our third week of Advent Conspiracy. Um, so welcome to the garden. Glad you guys could be here today. Uh, this is the season for Christmas cards, right? Now, when you guys get a Christmas card in the mail, right, you open it up. And there is this uh, moment after the card's out of the envelope. You look at it, right? And you pretend to read it. Like you pretend to really care what it says. And so you don't really read it. You just look at it for two to four seconds. So that way, if anybody's watching, uh, it shows that you have a heart. And then there comes this moment right here, right about here. Your thumbs are, are on the edges of the card and your heart begins to pulse. And you won't even admit this to yourself, right? And you certainly won't admit it to anyone else. But there just might be something on the inside, right? And you don't even want to open it. Like, there's like this tension and, ah. I mean, it could be a gift card or it could be a check or maybe just a dollar bill. It doesn't matter. It could be something. And so you actually even tilt it this way just ever so slightly, <laughs> So if there is something inside, that little wonder won't float to the ground, right? And then you open it and, oh, okay. And then you, again, look two to four seconds on the inside. And then you stick it on your fridge or wherever you put it. And uh, you smile. And, and, and again, you won't admit this to anybody. You won't even admit this to yourself. But there was that brief second of disappointment when it was open, right? Uh, so this morning... We're talking about gift giving. Why? why? What, is, what are gifts? Why do we do this? What is this? You know, what is a gift? Is a card not a gift? What qualifies as a gift? And uh, why, why do we give gifts? So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're starting in Genesis chapter 3, which is a well-known Christmas passage. Our Bible is missing the first three Not really. Chapters. Oh, man. You might want to burn that. Um, Genesis chapter 3. The, the, uh, around Christmas time, like I said last week, three quarters of Americans dread Christmas time. We dread it. I was talking to a dad this last week who... I was driving the car with him, and he sighed, like this really dreadful sigh. Like all the life came out of him. And I was like, what's going on? And he was like, I got to go Christmas shopping tonight. And then he starts talking about the money. He starts talking about what he doesn't have. And he's like, and he said, it's so, it's so stressful. I hate this time. Why is it? Why is it so stressful? Why is this idea of even giving gifts why do we dread it? Like, if, if giving gifts is truly such a great thing to do, why do three quarters of Americans dread Christmas time? The Bible starts with this story, a narrative, of this God who creates, and he creates these people. And this God loves these people, and there's this intimate relationship, this beautiful thing happening be, between God and 
and these, these people, and God walks with them and fellowships with them and talks with them, and there's this dynamic love going back and forth. And, and God, as you guys probably know the story, tells them, you can eat, eat of any tree except this one tree. Don't eat of this one tree. And then look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did, did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And then look at the serpent's response in verse 4. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God uh, knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God is deceiving you. Like you've actually thought that this God has been walking with you. You've actually believed that this God loves you. God really doesn't want the best for you. God actually knows that there's something good. And if you eat this, you're actually going to be as good as he is. You're going to be like him. And so God is really lying to you like he's deceiving you. And the reality is this. Look, look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it. She gave uh, also to her husband who was with her and he ate it. God must be deceiving me. It looks good. Why, why all of this time has God been telling me that I can't, we can't have this? What, what's, what is so forbidden about this fruit? God's keeping us from something. And so they believed the greatest lie that humanity has ever believed, that all of us have believed at one point or another, or maybe still believe today. And it's, it's the greatest lie that God doesn't really love you. Why did Adam and Eve fall? Why did man fall? Why did... Why did they disobey? It's because they believed this lie that man, or that God, doesn't really love them. And so then the story goes on in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. What if, what if God doesn't love us anymore? What if, because, because of what we've done, because of, we've disobeyed, we've fallen, we've, we've gone astray, we've, what if, what if he doesn't love us anymore? What if as he sees us naked for all that we are, he sees the real us? What if he doesn't accept us? And so let's begin to cover up. Let's begin to hide because what if God, what if he won't accept us anymore? What if God truly doesn't love us? And so they hide. And the hiding continues, doesn't it? Even as the story goes on, God, instead of, I mean, this is, the, this, is, this is really an amazing point in the story. God doesn't destroy humanity. He doesn't say, okay, I'm done. Let's start fresh. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. 
and, and redemption begins to take place. Instead of wiping them off of the planet, God now, because he loves them, in their fallen state. Okay, so you see that you're naked now. Okay, so you want to hide. You want to be covered up. You don't want me to see you for who you really are. You know what I'm going to do about that? Here, I'm going to make you some clothes. I'm going to love you just as you are. and I'm going to provide for you just as you need the provision. But the hiding still continues. I mean, as the story continues, they have a son whose name's Cain, and Cain kills his brother Abel, right? And what does Cain do? He hides the truth from God. God comes and he's like, where's your brother? I don't know. I don't know. Am, I, am I my brother's keeper? Why? What if? What if God doesn't like me now? What if God doesn't truly love me? What if, what if God doesn't really want the best for me? <coughs> and the hiding continues. You get, we get a couple, cha- uh, a couple books into the, into the Bible. And what do we see? We see this nation of Israel that God is putting together, these, this people of God, people of Israel. And uh, uh, they're hiding from God, but also the, the belief system begins to turn and they begin asking different kinds of questions, questions like this. Is God hiding from us? Maybe God's hiding from us. They're sitting at the bottom of the mountain and Moses went up to the top of the mountain long ago and he hasn't come back down yet. And he's up there meeting with God. And have we been abandoned? Has God left us and brought us out into the desert and now he's left us to die? And so we begin to turn in our thinking then and it's no longer us trying to hide from God and cover up. But now we begin to question, maybe God is hiding from us. If there is a God, Maybe he doesn't want us to know him. Maybe he is concealing himself in some way. And the hiding continues. Maybe Haman's prayer, his cry in in Psalms, is, is your cry. Where he says, I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave when you remember no more are cut off from your care. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Why, in this dark state, why is I'm going through what I'm going through? Why are you hiding? Where are you? What's going on? What's the deal? Or maybe you could resonate with Isaiah where he cries out, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. God, if if you would just come down and be with us. You know, like, you're this great God, you're this creator, and, we, and okay, we believe that you're there, but if you would just, God, if you're real, if you're there, if you really love us, would you just come down? And, and if you would, I think the mountains would tremble. It would be that great. If you could just come and be with us, be like us, be one of us. But this continues, and so, so the hiding continues and and the wild thing this is what christians do this is what a lot of us do is like when when we do fall and when we doubt when we when we feel bad about ourselves we begin to hide we we begin to hide it up we we begin to close up we we don't want to admit it to ourselves we don't want to admit it to our friends and we certainly don't want to admit it to god if there is a god and so we begin to hide and the brokenness continues and the brokenness 
gets, uh, sets a deeper root in your soul to the point where you are so like discouraged and out there and, and broken that you, you then just say, you know, I, if there is a God, he's hiding. I don't know. I don't know. And God, if, if, if you're there, if you're a real God, what, would you just come be with us? Just come down. So what then is the good news at Christmas time? Um, where is the joy in Advent? Behind the bells, behind the lights, uh, behind the traveling, the plane tickets, the trips home, you know, the, the meals, whatever. Is there something, is there something that we're missing? Behind all of the wrapping paper and the packaging on the 25th and Mounds of trash and trash bags full of trash. Is there something that we're missing as we go through this? Is there some cosmic whisper that we're not hearing? I have a friend who lost a child. And Christmas is not a joyful season for this friend. He pulls out the decorations from the attic and he sets his tree up and they do the thing and they give the gifts and gifts and gifts and big deal, whatever. It's more gifts. And the question he asks is, what happened to the Christmas spirit in my heart? What happened to the joy? What is this? What's, what's the point? It was Christmas time when I, was, when I walked into Excess down on Charles Street to have a meal there one night. And I'm walking in and you know, it's beautiful music, lights, and, and uh, but behind the Bing Crosby playing and behind the lights, there was this man sitting on the sidewalk right there with a big bulge coming out of his head, and I sat and began to talk to him, and he's dying from AIDS, and he was sitting there night after night after night, and, and then I saw him no more. What, what is the good news at Christmas? I mean, seriously, Really? Peace on earth, goodwill to the man with AIDS dying on the sidewalk in front of excess? Really? There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's the song that we sang last week. I couldn't remember one line. You remember? I I told you I'd tell you this week. Well, I'm keeping my word. He wrote... It was written in the middle of the Civil War, 1863, and, and as he looked around, as he heard the church bells on Christmas Day, he said, there is no peace on earth. I don't see it. And he wrote these, these words, uh, which were actually taken out of the song, from every black accursed mouth, the cannons thundered in the south and drowned out their song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. As he's a strong abolitionist and he's looking across and he's seeing the enslavement of all of these Africans and he's like, peace on earth? Goodwill to all men? Really? That's Christmas? That's what we're celebrating? There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. (coughs) Is God really here? Or is he hiding if he is. Look at Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, do you notice Joseph's initial reaction to the news? I'm pregnant. He's going to divorce her. It's over. Probably rightly so. You know, Mary comes to Joseph and tells him, I got, hey, I got a visit from an angel last night. Right. And I'm pregnant now. Right. I mean, what, what would we do? But Joseph, being a, uh, a good guy, decides instead of to publicly shame Mary, greater than she's already going to be, he decides to privately put her away, uh, respectfully, just a quiet divorce. Now, why didn't Joseph go through with that? Why didn't Joseph continue on and, and just quietly move on and, and to find the right girl for his life? That night, he, he too has a visit from an angel. And this, this messenger of God tells him, Do, don't divorce your wife. Don't divorce Mary. Keep her. Marry her. She's a good girl. God loves her a lot. And the, the child that she has, the child that is growing inside her, is not a child that was conceived by man. But it's a child that's been conceived by God. By the Spirit of God. The, the, the very seed that is, that is in Mary is, is God's very own being. It's God's very own flesh. It's his son that's growing inside of her. And then it is great news. Look at Matthew's commentary on what's, what's taking place here in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. In 23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. The ancients began to hide from God. They began to cover up. They began to, to, to close up. What if God really doesn't love us? So they began to hide, and then soon enough it turned to these endless questions of whether or not God just very well might be hiding from us. To the point where Isaiah is crying out, if you would just come down and be with us. God is way out there, and we are stuck right here. Right? I mean, is this any different from the feelings that we have today, often? Like, if we're going to really be honest with ourselves. When we think about God, and when we think about life, and we think about what's after life, and just everything. God is somewhere else. He's like, where is He, you know? And so the story of Advent, then, the, the, the beauty of it, the Advent itself is a season in which we come together 
and we, we change what we're doing, we change how we're living our life, and we come together and we, once a year, take this season to remind ourselves, God is with us. The temptation then at that point is uh, to say, yay! So baby man, you know, Jesus in the manger, little manger scene, God's with us, and uh, so yay, uh, let's go about life. Um, let's do, let's live like everyone else. Let's do Christmas like everyone else. Yay. But then we still look around and we still ask these questions because my friend still lost his child, right? I mean, we still are confronted with this brokenness and this pain and these questions of like, where is God? I mean, if that's true, if, if Advent really is a season where we celebrate God with us, is, is God still with us might be the appropriate question. Because if we're going to be honest, often we, we don't see it. With the man who's dying from AIDS, is God still with us? Is there nothing left to look for? Is there nothing left to mourn? Is there nothing left to anticipate? Because Jesus came. One of the last interactions, face-to-face interactions, that Jesus had with his disciples was in, in John chapter 20. So turn with me there. John chapter 20, which is three books over. <clears throat> John chapter 20. Uh, look at verse 24 with me. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, to, he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now, why does Thomas choose not to believe that they have seen Jesus? <coughs> because Jesus was dead. Right? Like you and I may doubt as well. Thomas saw Jesus nailed to the cross. He saw the nails driven into his hands and into his feet. He saw the crown on his head. He saw I mean, his bloodied, suffering body hanging there, dying, breathing at his last. And he saw him die. He saw where they shoved the spear into his side and water came out, which proved that... that, that he, he was dead. He saw him die. And now you guys are going to tell me that you saw Jesus? You must have been dreaming. I saw him die. So then look at verse 29. Uh, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Touch my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus, yes, indeed, died. He entered death. He entered suffering. He entered the grave. And 
what Thomas was seeing with his own eyes was a risen Jesus. Now, I want to point something out that we've got to understand. This risen Jesus in the flesh, not a dream, not an illusion, an event which took place which completely changed the course of human history. This risen Jesus standing before him bears the marks of suffering. He bears the marks of death. Where do we see Jesus? Where do we see him? It's in the suffering. It's in the death. We see Jesus in my friend who lost his child in his mourning. We see Jesus in the man who's dying from AIDS on the sidewalk. We see Jesus as we come together, broken human beings. Because here's the thing, Jesus never said everything is now all right, just sit on your hands and take it easy and really do it up big at Christmas time. He never said that. Jesus sent us out with anticipation, with longing, with a tear in our eye as we saw the marks of suffering on our Savior. That's how we were sent out into the world to now bear the suffering ourselves and to enter into the world as God entered into this world and to, and to be Jesus to the people around us, to come together as broken, suffering individuals and to see Jesus in each other's faces, to see Jesus in my friend's face, to see Jesus in the face of the man on the sidewalk. And so then the claim of Christmas then rings true. Jesus is with us. God is still with us. He has not left. It's good news. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's good news for the poor. It's good news for the person who wakes up and doesn't have anything to eat. It's good news for the person who's lost his child. It's good news for the man who's dying of AIDS. That God is still with us in the darkness as we enter those moments of suffering. God is there. As the story continues, we see that the, the suffering doesn't last forever. We see that the end of this man's life with AIDS is not really the end of the story. And we even see that this risen Jesus is not the end of the story. But what we look forward to at Advent is the second Advent in which the risen Christ comes back in all of his glory. And heaven, this moment when heaven crashes to earth and every tear is wiped away. And there is no more death. There is no more crying. There is no more pain. And that's good news. So therefore, let us give tons of gifts to each other at Christmas time, right? <laughs> let us go into debt, rack up money on the credit card. And buy as much as we possibly can. Doesn't really, I don't see the correlation. 
You know, when we think of the good news of Jesus, that God, I mean, forever we've been doubting it, and God in Christ, if we believe it, God is with us today. God literally came, as Isaiah was crying out, please, if you would just come down, God came down. I heard somebody the other day said, uh, they said, if God were to come as a human, I would believe that there's a God. <laughs> really? But guess what? <laughs> That's the good news. It's that God came. What if God were one of us? He was. He, he joined us. And not only did he join us here, but he joined us in our suffering and he joined us in our death. And so now about this matter of gift giving. Um, I, here's what I believe. Our, our, our gift giving reflects our view of God. And what I mean by that, when I, when I meet somebody who's doubting God, like that there even is a God, beyond maybe uh, even some of these questions of, does God really love us? But is there, even a, is there really even a God? And if there is, does he love us? I love to just kind of ask some questions to to explore and probe a little bit as to what kind of God they used to believe in. What kind of God are they actually looking for? And more often than not, what we find is that we believe in a God who has promised us stuff. We've, we believe in a God who's promised us the good life. We believe in a God who's promised us that, that once we come to faith, that he's going to take care of us and that we're, we're never going to have problems again. And then, and then our health goes whack. And we're like, man, if God was like, really loved me, if there really was a God, why am I having all of these health problems? Or we're, we're poor or we lose something or we lose someone. And we begin to question, wait a second, I thought God was supposed to be giving me stuff. I thought God was not supposed to let me suffer. I thought God was supposed to keep me from all of this. And here's the reality, and I hate to burst your bubble if you guys believe in that kind of God, but that God doesn't exist. Do we believe in a God who completely gave himself for us? Do we believe in a God who resisted the glittering empire of Herod and entered into the suffering with us? Do we believe in a God who entered this world for one purpose? Not to give us a bunch of stuff. He entered this world for one purpose. To suffer and to die, to bring us back, to bring humanity back into relationship with, with God and with himself. Do we believe in a God who left his place in heaven and moved in with the poor? Do we believe in a God who completely gave himself? He didn't give us a bunch of stuff. And how many times have we seen it at Christmas time? We're sitting around, and uh, so-and-so just had an argument with so-and-so, and this person is angry with this person, and Aunt Bessie has a grudge against your cousin, and you're not, things aren't right with you and your mom. And we're sitting around, and, and it's Christmas morning, and everybody went out beforehand and bought a bunch of stuff, and, and we're sitting there, we're opening up all these gifts, and, and, and here it is, and there's just piles, mounds of wrapping paper, and mounds of stuff, material things. 
things that we've asked for, things that we've always wanted, and now we're looking at it, and we're like, man, I thought it would bring me more happiness than that. You know what I'm saying? And here we sit. How many times have you seen it? How many times, how many times, if you're like me, has it broken your heart to sit there and you, you literally want to cry out, you didn't have to do all of this to show me that you loved me. You didn't have to go into debt. You didn't have to buy me all of this stuff to show that you loved me. I didn't have to do all this to show you that I loved you. And, and, and we're sitting here and like, and we, guys, we do it out of a pure heart because we really want to show love. And, and we don't know how, how else to do it. And so we're, we, we want to repair this relationship. And so, man, I'm going to get him something nice. And we're sitting there and there's smiles and deep down is this haunting fact that your hearts are as distant as they ever have been. And then on the 26th, everything is going to go back to normal and everybody's going to be angry with everybody. And nobody is really going to feel any more loved than they were on the 24th. And we sit through that year after year and three, three quarters of us dread it. Why? We're not giving like God. We're not following Jesus. We're giving stuff. God didn't give us stuff. He gave us himself. He gave us a repaired relationship, a renewed heart, a, a full and complete understanding of his, of his sacrificial love for us. So what if we didn't give stuff? I, I mentioned a few years ago that my family and I changed things. I, was, I grew very weary of the way we had done Christmas. Um, I grew weary of like the fact that all of us consider ourselves to be Christians and then Christmas season comes around and we just do it like everyone else. And there's all of this stuff that doesn't really have much to do with the Advent. <coughs> it doesn't really have much to do with God with us. And so, uh, so I, I decided to change it. I started telling my family, like, look, I, I don't know if I'm feeling this anymore, the way we're doing it. And I'm not talking about, like, keep Christ in Christmas stuff. Because the reality is most of the keep Christ in Christmas uh, talk, what does that have to do with? It has to do with you're out Christmas shopping, buying all of your gifts, and you walk into Walmart, and doggone it, they don't have the major scene in their marketing, right? <laughs> they took Christ out of their banners. And so we want to keep Christ in the marketing. And I just felt like, like even, even our purest attempts at trying to understand what it means to keep Jesus at the center of Christmas was really missing it. And I thought, you know, I think it has to do with, like, really how we're worshiping throughout the season and how we're interacting with each other. And so... Our whole family, like we talked about last week, I think it was, our whole family just changed everything. And, and uh, my, my mom wrote this letter to my daughter, who was one at the time, and she was, was going to open it when she was 16. Uh, my, I wrote a poem for my dad, which, which basically told him, 
how much of an influence he had been on my life. And, and I had never told him that before. And I just like bore my soul and it was tears and it was you know, beautiful. The poem was all right, you know, but the message was beautiful. Uh, my, my brother-in-law made shelves out of wood for people. You know, it's just this beautiful, like, everybody's just like, what can I do to just show my love? Like, how, how am I gifted in such a way to really communicate my love? To let it be more than just throwing stuff at somebody because God doesn't throw stuff at us. I mean, that would be literally akin to God just giving you a bunch of money and a great house and withdrawing his relationship from you. Would you trade your relationship with God for all of this stuff in the world? God doesn't throw stuff at us. He gives us a relationship. So it was beautiful. And uh, so... In a lot of ways, I think we were following Jesus, right? At Christmas time, in the way that we were giving gifts. If you keep this in mind, if you guys think this through a little bit, as you give gifts, two principles to keep in mind. One, gifts that you give should transform the relationships of those around you. And two, it should demonstrate to the world that God is with us. When we think about transforming relationships, the early church, let's think through it just briefly. What was this dynamic movement in their hearts that was uniting them and keeping them so, so close to where they, they were being shut down and they were being killed and they, yet they were still coming together to worship and to be together? What was it? At the very core, they understood who Jesus was. And they understood that Jesus wasn't, again, just giving them a bunch of stuff. But they understood that they, their, their, this relationship with God has been made right through Christ. And with that at their core, their relationships with everyone was transformed. Which then led them to, to demonstrate to the world that God is indeed present. Let me ask you this question. How, how can a young girl who's caught in human trafficking know that God is present? Every 10 minutes, I've heard, every 10 minutes, a human is trafficked. In our city, every 10 minutes, a human is trafficked. I've, I've heard heart-wrenching stories about trafficking right here in Baltimore where young girls are being sold to their landlords to pay the rent or being forced to stand on the street corner by their parents or by a boyfriend. I mean, how can somebody who's caught up in, in human trafficking know that God is present and that God is here? I heard a story, another story of, of a girl who was caught up in human trafficking. And she, thank God, had someone come to her and rescue her from that. And with tears running down both her face, she looked at her rescuer and, and she said, how, how can God love me? And the rescuer put her, her arms around her and, and said, well, I'm here. You know, he sent me. And then she looked at the rescuer, and she said, 
but why didn't you come sooner? And you know what she said? She, she, she put her arms around her and she said, I'm so sorry I haven't. I mean, what if, what if at Christmas time we could truly bring the presence of God to some people that really, really doubt it because of their environment? I mean, as you guys know, we're doing this Advent offering. Half of it is going to go to a local human trafficking organization right here in Baltimore, which is fighting fighting the trafficking here in this city. What if we could give beyond ourselves? I mean, this is, you don't even know these people, right? They're strangers to you. But what if we could say they are my brothers and sisters as well? And what if we could love them as such? I mean, wouldn't you give anything to rescue your brother or your, or your sister or your daughter or your son? And, uh, and communicate to them, God is here, God is present. So maybe some of us have to, this, this Advent season, begin to look outside of ourselves and outside of our own circle and begin to love in dramatically new ways which bring Emmanuel to the world around us. Or maybe you've been caught up in, in uh, the materialism of our empire, especially at Christmas time, and you need to repent. And say, I've, I've been missing it. I've been missing the, the beauty of Advent. In no way has God with us been the center of, of my life. And maybe there is this recognition that Jesus has never been the center of your life. He really never has been. And you need to have a hard talk with Jesus. And say something like, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm broken. But I believe that you have made things right with God. That you have come and you have saved me. What if, what if behind the lights and the noise and the marketing and the consumerism and the wrapping paper and the shopping and the boxes and the packaging? And what if... What if you could hear this cosmic whisper, God is with us? What if as, as we go through this season, as, as, as we extend ourselves beyond uh, what we would normally do, we could communicate this message, God is with us. Let's pray. Dear God, we do repent of the many ways that we have missed it. And we ask you to remind us and renew us once again. Renew our hearts, draw us back to you, take us back to the river, take us back to the place where we once, where we once were. Restore in us a clean heart. And God, as, as we believe this gospel, this good news, 
that you have indeed come, and not only have you lived with us, but you have entered into the suffering and into the death with us, and you have defeated it through your resurrection. May we embrace your life. In Jesus' name, amen.